0: We all know the world of energy and natural resources is changing fast. People are demanding action on the climate crisis. Businesses and politicians are throwing their weight behind the energy transition. And technology is reshaping the world as we know it. But we must ensure the result doesn't become too complex and too confusing. That's where the Climate Transition podcast comes in. In this series, DLA Piper's Energy and Natural Resources team speaks to special guests to help you make sense of it all. My name is Natasha Luther-Jones. I'm the global co-chair of the Energy and Natural Resources sector here at DLA Piper. I'm also co-head of our International Sustainability and ESG offering. And I am your host for the series. Today we ask, are corporates in the green driving seat? In this episode, we'll look at the role of corporates in the energy transition. Big companies are often in the crosshairs for criticism when it comes to the climate. But many of the world's most famous brands are buying some or all of their electricity from wind and solar farms. They mostly do this via what are known as corporate power purchase agreements corporate PPAs, which really essentially is a corporate buying electricity directly from a renewable energy generator. So does this mean they are now in the driving seat when it comes to global action for the climate crisis? Are they in corporate PPAs delivering the rate of change the world really needs? And how can companies of all sizes get involved? And what are the issues and complexities involved in them? Some huge questions here for my guest. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Phil Dominey, Director in Power and Utilities at EY. Phil has helped build renewable energy strategies for some of the world's biggest companies, and I've had the pleasure of working with him on many corporate PPAs over the years. Welcome, Phil.
1: Thanks, Natasha. It's good to be here.
0: Um, so let's kick off with a little bit of background. So how did you first get involved in advising corporates on corporate power purchase agreements and sustainability?
1: Well, it's a long story, really. Probably goes back 13 years or even more. Um, when I when I joined EY from the UK Met Office, um, I was into weather and, and climate change over there at the time, and and joined EY to help build up their renewable energy consultancy for corporates. Um, and the first few years was was working on uh, large uh, corporates' global renewable strategies, but probably in the last six or seven years or so. I've been focusing much more on how to implement those global strategies um, and reach targets. Um, and primarily that's been through sort of large sort of offsite PPAs across many countries, actually. So um, not just sort of in the UK and Europe, but further afield in US, Mexico, India, Australia, just to name a few. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a great part of my job now and I love it
0: interesting background and probably a good time to have um, moved away from weather forecasting given climate change and the difficulty in that these days. Um, so the question for this episode is are corporates in the green driving seat? So Phil do you think they are and how big an impact can they have on the climate crisis?
1: Well you've started with a pretty tricky question <laughs> Sasha. Um, yeah it's it's confusing really. I, I, I would say they're they're in the process of actually switching from from being in the passenger seat to the driving seat so so let's let's stretch that analogy a little bit more um, i mean if you could imagine that 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 currently or in the past at least that governments were generally in the driving seat for renewables so they were they were they were trying to to increase um renewable energy investment with with various subsidies and and feed-in tariffs and and other other incentives um had the, had, the, had a sort of quiet public in the back seat um, but now, you know, we're getting a, a very vocal um, public in the back seat, really wanting to to drive corporates and governments to, to enter renewables much more. And and actually, corporates are taking a bit more of a lead now. I, I, as I say, I see them switching into the driving seat, sort of governments are sort of um, pulling away from offering sort of direct incentives in, in many sort of developed renewables markets. So feed and tariffs are moving away. Um and and corporates are really stepping up and filling that gap and and beginning to sort of drive renewable energy projects. So, I mean, it, it's particularly um, encouraging because you know in many ways they've been um, sort of a, a bit slow to start in, in in this respect, and and now they're really um, taking this initiative and and um, yeah, helping to drive the market by signing these long term agreements or or investing directly in renewables.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I think um, actually some generators and funders would say that the corporates are very much in the driving seat now. And some of the corporates um, negotiate very good positions for themselves. Um, But it'd be interesting to see, maybe we can touch upon that later, whether we think um, that that will swing back again. So it's not really a surprise then that we've seen um, a build up last year of corporate power purchase agreements, even given um, Trump's, you know, Trump was still in power then, um, COVID. I saw some recent figures in 2020, um, 10.9 gigawatts of corporate PPAs were done in the US and 10 gigawatts in Europe. Um, Why do you think that was then, given what we all went through last year, that actually last year was probably the biggest year we've had in Europe
1: i know incredible stats aren't they um considering what what the world's been through um in, in some ways i'm i'm not surprised I, I i think um sort of people generally but also corporates more specifically have really understood the urgency of the situation now um and and they're really wanting to to take action and and make a difference um i mean i think on on top of that you know after some really low power prices earlier last year when covid first Struck. There's there've been really some very buoyant um, power prices, uh, particularly across across Europe, and we're seeing the sort of cost effectiveness of PPAs, as well as obviously their sort of sustainability benefits. So I think a combination of those two um, sort of drivers, but also now there's a very interesting driver. You know, looking ahead later this year with with COP twenty six, I call it sort of the COP twenty six effect on PPAs. Really, a lot of corporates are, are really wanting to. To get PPA signed um, to, to to meet renewables targets, and and COP twenty six is a, is a great opportunity to to do that. So I think that, that there are some underlying drivers, you know, which are almost sort of greater than COVID. Dare I say it? And, and the sort of economic situation we saw ourselves in early last year, which are which are pushing these these stats up and up.
0: Yeah, you're definitely right on the COP effect, and I think we've seen the recent. Um, Biden Climate Leaders Summit, where all a number of countries have come out now with increased targets. Um, and I agree, there's definitely some pressure to get some corporate PPAs done um, before COP, including our one, Phil. Um, I have to say for listeners, uh, we've just appointed Phil to um, do DLA Piper's first ever multi-jurisdictional corporate PPA. And yet we definitely want to sign it before COP26 too.
1: And on top of that, Natasha, um, yeah, I mean, EY did the same last year. So, um, you know, we benefited from from your help and we closed um, a PPA in the UK, which was very exciting for us, you know, to sort of walk the talk really as, as consultants. Um, you know, we'd set some ambitious carbon reduction and, and renewable energy targets. And um, to close our first PPA with, a, with a, a new solar project in the UK was, was extremely exciting. So.
0: I definitely want to come back to... I definitely want to come back to that, Phil, because I think doing uh, PPAs uh, with off-takers in the professional services sector is a really interesting move for the market. And I, I, so, so maybe um, we could come back to sectors later on in the episode. But just changing tact slightly before then. Um, I would quite like to just um, delve a little bit deeper into, um, are PPAs the only answer for these corporates who are in the driving seat now or may or may not be? Um, as much as you and I spend a lot of time uh, working on PPAs, are they the only answer in your view or what else is there corporates could be doing?
1: I think like many things, that they're, they're just one piece of, of the jigsaw puzzle. And uh, I mean, they're, they're a very important piece and and, and a very um, large piece in a way, but that they are what we we call we focus on scope two, so that's sort of scope two greenhouse gas emissions. So it's uh, emissions from what you basically procure, and typically that that in- includes electricity. So, but th- there are other other sort of parts of the jigsaw, uh, sort of scope one, which are typically your sort of direct um, heat emissions, um, and, and scope three, which are your supply emissions. So from your suppliers down to your customers. Um, and I think all, all those aspects sort of need to be considered by corporates, and you know certainly corporates that are sort of stepping up and 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 uh, signing science-based targets, it looks across the the whole breadth of that, and you know although you know PPAs address scope too, and that's a critical part, they should all also be looking at well, how can they advocate to their to their customers, to their suppliers, and even their employees to reduce their emissions, but also what can they do actually on their own sites in terms of saying, making them more efficient and, um, you know, reducing heat requirements and then transport, of course, how are they, what's their travel policy like? All of these areas are part of the, that same jigsaw.
0: Do you think carbon offsetting can help with that? There's been a lot of talk recently about the UK leading the way in, in that. Do you, do you think that that can help?
1: Yes, I think it, it's part of the picture. I think m- many would see it as, as the sort of the end of the hierarchy, rather than the start. I think you know when corporates in previous years maybe started their their carbon reduction strategies, they maybe just start with offsetting everything and 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 then fill in other um, options as uh, you know as they could. Whereas actually now it's more a sort of that's the last option to sort of fill the gap. And I think you know there are certainly many corporates that, particularly with with heat requirements, and heat is quite difficult to to, to move to renewables. Um, and and carbon offsetting does play an important part. I mean, obviously, like many things, you know, there are many qualities of, of carbon offsets and corporate should really think carefully about what, you know, what quality and what type of carbon offset projects they want to get involved in. So it is is an important part, but maybe not the first part of the jigsaw to put together.
0: Fair point. Um, why don't we go back then to sectors, um, and, and we we know that the tech giants have really dominated some of those figures that we mentioned earlier. Um, how can we get more sectors involved? And are you seeing a sort of more diverse group of corporates, maybe also from a jurisdictional perspective, and also the size of them? Are we is it just the big players that that can play in corporate PPAs, or is there room for the smaller players?
1: Yeah, you're right. It certainly did start with the tech giants and 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 I think that's right that that they were consuming a lot of power and getting a lot of publicity and and they they really stepped up and that that was that was great to see. I think certainly in in their in their wake we've already seen other sectors like consumer products, uh, financial services, uh, pharma, retail, those sort of sectors which were maybe a more sort of public facing and and have sort of stronger brand drivers around sustainability. They've they've certainly been you know, quick to to step up to corporate PPAs. I, I think some of the other sectors that it's interesting to see now moving into this space are the sort of heavier industry um, type uh, corporates. And certainly they, you know, they see this now as n- not just a, a key sustainability initiative that they must, you know, undertake, but this is very much an economic play. You know, um, uh, fossil fuels are going up, you know, carbon prices are rising. And this is something that they must do for economic reasons, but also because it's the right thing to do. So I think, you know, we're, we're seeing those players step up now, which is, which is great. I mean, I, I think in terms of widening it to, to, to maybe sort of smaller and medium uh, sort of size corporates, absolutely. You know, we, we need this sort of opportunity to, to, to spread. And I think certainly medium sized corporates happen have an opportunity through potentially clubbing with other corporates. Um, Also, maybe clubbing their own consumption across borders. So we're seeing the rise of virtual PPAs uh, across Europe, um, much like we've seen, you know, across sort of states and regional boundaries in the US. Uh, I think in terms of the very smaller, the small corporates who maybe haven't got sufficient demand or their credit rating isn't isn't good enough. I I think you know there will always be a place for a good quality green tariff and renewable energy certificates. And it's a bit like you and me, Natasha, you know, when we consider what you know, electricity tariff to buy, you know, we can't do a PPA for ourselves, but, you know, we can choose the right supplier who's who's got the best sort of supply of renewable energy.
0: Yeah, and I think you, you touched on an important point, which is um, – credit and the credit support of the medium and small size companies and I think historically that's what we've struggled with a little bit but um, I am seeing the um, insurance-backed products coming over from the US now to Europe backing up some non-investment grade companies so it'd be interesting to see whether that becomes um, much more common in the European market going forward.
1: Yes I hope so I mean you know there are a number of sort of um, countries in Europe where maybe some of the the larger corporates, you know, even the larger corporates there don't have sort of uh, very attractive credit ratings. So, you know, I think that that is an opportunity for, you know, some of those types of corporates to, you know, to back off their position, as it were, and, and make sure that the developers are, are comfortable with with the credit rating.
0: Um, so why don't we touch upon now um, what it's like doing a corporate PPA as an off-taker if you're a professional services company? Um I hope you don't mind me saying um Phil so yours was the first you were the first off-taker um as a professional services company in Europe to do one uh, it was quite challenging i have to say from personal perspective as well um but we got there um what can you share with the listeners over the structure you chose to do that and some of the issues you encountered
1: Yeah it was it was a fascinating journey for me it was it was a it was a personal journey as well as a corporate journey you know, when uh, PPAs sort of first came along, well, at the back of my mind I thought, yeah, I'd love to do this for for EY in the UK. Um, EY in the US beat me to it. I mean, they they did a couple of win PPAs a couple of years ago. But in in terms of our own journey in the UK, um, yes, it, it was it was a longer journey than than maybe most. Um, but you know, as a as a professional services you know accounting firm with very strong um, independence rules, um, it was very important that you know we we. We, we obeyed those rules and and you know stuck to to everything um to make sure that you know we were in no way um non-compliant and you know that that did raise the bar for us but you know th- through some some excellent sort of legal advice and some working with our own accountants anyway you know we were able to 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 go out to the market and encourage um quite a large number of um bidders, developers to come and present projects to us and and then we were able to to select a project that just suited our requirements. But then, you know, the rest of the journey was all about, you know, negotiating, you know, terms that were appropriate for for the developer, but also were appropriate for, for us in our spe- you know, special context really. Um, but yeah, I'm pleased to say we we did get it across the line in December 2020. Um and as of about October this year, we're going to have a, a solar farm in, in England um, as a result, which is, which is fantastic.
0: Great, yeah, great news. Um, You touched upon the negotiation of terms um, and um, actually glazed over it slightly. Um, What about giving the listeners a little bit more info over what would you say are the most hotly negotiated material terms of the PPA? And maybe put it in the wider context, not necessarily just yours.
1: I mean, I think one of the first things you need to decide is is what structure you're going to go for. So, you, you know, Probably many of you know that there are sort of two main structures for PPAs: as a, a physical or sometimes called sleeve structure, or a, a financial or, or some school virtual structure. And you know those structures are are, are very different in nature. And you know um, you, you'll need to sort of get some advice to make sure you you pick the right one. For us, it, it was a virtual structure. We we needed it; provided a bit more flexibility. Um, in, in many ways, it, it's simpler. It's it's just one sort of contract rather than uh, a couple of back-to-back um, and it provided us with um, yeah the, the more flexible way of also um, covering uh, consumption that was outside of our direct control so a lot of our properties for example are, are, are landlord controlled so it, it has that extra flexibility and I suppose one of the challenges of it is that it has um, potentially you know slightly more difficult accounting treatments, but being an accountancy firm, that was that was fine for us. Um, I think that's one of the key areas is, is structure. I think another area is, is whether you want to um, take what's called a payers-produced um, volume or a baseload structure. And I think you know, this is an area where we're seeing a bit of a trend as well, a bit like with physical and financial PPAs where most of the first PPAs were physical and now they're moving to financial or virtual. In, the, in this um, payers-produced or baseload, we're also seeing a bit of a shift. Um, so, payers-produced PPAs are, are preferred by developers. Literally, you, you, you sort of consume the power as it's produced, so in all its sort of intermittency and, and, and so forth. Whereas base load requires, in effect, the developer to sort of restructure that into uh, into a sort of flat um, structure that, that 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 more closely matches is, matches a corporate's consumption. So, we, we in fact went for payers produced in 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 our uh, particular context um it, it suited us although we took a a daily average as opposed to an hourly settlement which was a bit of a hybrid um in terms of other complex negotiations or, or or decisions early on um you need to also think about um whether you want to index um the Ppa or not you know are you going to have some sort of inflationary aspect or or not and we decided to use um indexation in in our Ppa so so that's one structure or you can literally have no inflation at all and have it completely flat um i suppose a third area that you need to think about is is protection against negative pricing and you know in, in countries where there's a lot of renewables coming onto the grid you need to think about well in times of great supply um potentially prices could could reduce a lot and and if it's a virtual ppa you'd have to top those prices up to the to the ppa price and that could be quite quite a demand quite an economic demand so you need to protect from a negative pricing in, as you negotiate as well i think in terms of um credit support and and that is is always corporate unique and that there'll be a way that um, almost any corporate can structure that and and provide enough support and comfort to the developers um as natasha mentioned you know this is an area where there are more tools coming in to help um Corporates maybe without, uh, you know, like a official credit rating to get comfort to to the developers. So I think those are some areas, Natasha, To there's sort of the knotty issues, as it were, um, that you need to sort of think about sort of early on in the negotiations, and then you can get to the fine detail later on.
0: Yeah, I think you've um, hit on some good ones there um, for sure. I think maybe just from a lawyer's perspective, I would add. Uh, just the regulatory regimes currently particularly post-Brexit when you're trying to do multi-jurisdictional virtual PPAs um, it's not insurmountable it is doable but it's a bit more tricky now.
1: Yeah absolutely Natasha yeah I think you know we're seeing the with the cross-border PPAs and and, and the Brexit um, situation that yeah that is a challenging area um, and you know how, how regos and, and geos are dealt with in that context is something that you will need to consider carefully.
0: There is one final question I'd like to pick your brains on before um, we wrap up Phil Um, and that's the difference between uh, additionality and impact. There's been a bit of press around it recently so um, probably massively oversimplifying things here but additionality um, I've understood that to be a key driver of all the corporates to do corporate power purchase agreements so far, Um, and that means if it wasn't for them entering into the power purchase agreement with the wind farm or solar facility, um, that facility would never have been built. So they're bringing additional new renewable energy onto the grid. Um, And there's been some press around Microsoft and, you know, um, them moving to wanting to make an impact uh, rather than necessarily additionality. Uh, What's your view on that? And do you see more corporates moving in that direction?
1: yeah i think that's an important sort of development of of this area i think it it may be for the more mature um develop uh, more mature corporates really i think you know microsoft is one of the early early movers in this space and you know they've certainly ticked the additionality box and they really want to move on and progress i think there are, there are many other corporates who who are still striving for additionality But I think when you are striving for additionality, you can look for impact as well. Um, So the impacts, the wider impacts beyond just the sort of environmental uh, aspects of of getting a new project onto the grid. I think if you sort of think of environmental as part of that wider ESG, so even in environmental, in the E, you've got sort of um, land diversification, you know, and an improvement. You've got the biodiversity Um, elements that you can consider within social you've got job creation you've got education you've got school visits that you could um, use from the um, encourage from the project Uh, and the g for governance i mean what you know multiple smaller projects means is that in effect you're democratizing power you're sort of uh, encouraging the deregulation and the liberalization of 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 power i think all these aspects the, these wider impacts you know are, are something that that corporates can maybe focus a bit more on rather than just the additionality i think you know when when we're working with corporates to evaluate projects we don't just look at the financials and we don't just look at the sort of hard numbers of of carbon reduction and and the amount of power is going to be from the project we do encourage them to to look at the wider impacts of the project and making sure that they've they've engaged with the with the local community that that there's a, a a plan to you know really improve the environmental aspects and the biodiversity as i mentioned job creation you know all these aspects it's yes absolutely move beyond just additionality to the wider impacts
0: I definitely agree with you there, Phil, and it'd be good to see all corporates moving in that direction. Um, So I'm going to wrap up now, Phil, and ask you a question I've uh, asked all our guests. But I I think uh, given the momentum we have behind COP26 and what we've already discussed, I'm sure I know your answer. But let me ask it anyway. Um, Phil, are you hopeful for the future?
1: Yes, definitely. Very hopeful for the future, Natasha, and looking forward forward to many more PPAs. You know, we saw, as you mentioned, 10 gigawatts across Europe and a similar number across the US just in 2020. And I strongly believe we'll we'll see a doubling of those numbers in the next few years. Um, So, yeah, very positive about the future.
0: Love the positive outlook. And thank you so much for your time and joining us today, Phil. Thanks, Natasha. Thank you so much for your time, Phil. It's been great to chat and no doubt we'll be coming back to some of these themes that we've discussed here throughout the series. There can be no doubt that corporates are going in the right direction. PPAs can't do it all, but there are some really important parts of the corporate response to the climate crisis. And I think we're both in agreement COP26 is a great opportunity to increase that momentum again. Thanks for listening. Hope you can catch us again next time. Please subscribe to the series at dlapiper.com forward slash ENR or via your usual podcast platform.